Chapter Ten, Part One of the Bronze Eagle by Baroness Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Last Throw. It was close on half past nine, and the moon full up on the stormy sky, when a couple of riders detached themselves out of the surging mass of horses and men that were flying pell-mell towards Genap, and slightly checking their horses put them to a slower gallop and finally to a trot on their right a small cottage gleamed snow-white in the cold searching light of the moon a low wall ran to right and left of it and enclosed a small yard at the back of the cottage the wall had a gate in it which gave on the fields beyond at the moment that the two riders trotting slowly down the road reached the first angle of the wall the gate was open and a man leading a white horse and wearing a grey reddingcoat turned into the yard my god the emperor exclaimed one of the riders as he drew rein they both turned their horses into the field skirting the low enclosed wall until they reached the gate the white horse was now tethered to a post and the man in the grey reddingcoat was standing in the doorway at the rear of the cottage the two men dismounted and in their turn led their horses into the yard at sight of them the man in the grey reddingcoat seemed to wake from his sleep berthier he said slowly is that you yes sire and colonel bertrand is here too what do you want we earnestly beg you sire to come with us to Genappe. there is not the slightest hope of rallying any portion of your army now the prussians are on us you might fall into their hands berthier conqueror and prince of wagram spoke very earnestly and with head uncovered but more abruptly and harshly than he had been wont to do of yore in the salons of the tuileries or on the glory-crowned battlefields at the close of a victorious day i am coming i am coming said the emperor with a quick sigh of impatience i only wanted to be alone a moment to think things out to there is nothing quite so urgent sire as your safety retorted the prince of wagram dryly the emperor did not or did not choose to heed his great marshal's marked want of deference perhaps he was accustomed to the moods of these men whom his bounty had fed and loaded with wealth and dignities and titles in the days of his glory who had proved only too ready alas even last year even now to desert him when disaster was in sight without another word he turned on his heel and pushing open the cottage door he disappeared into the darkness of the tiny room beyond with an impatient shrug of the shoulders berthier prepared to follow him colonel bertrand busied himself with tethering the horses then he too followed berthier into the building 
it was deserted of course as all isolated cottages and houses had been in the vicinity of quatre bras or mont st jean bertrand struck a tinder and lighted a tallow candle that stood forlorn on a deal table in the centre of the room the flickering light revealed a tiny cottage kitchen hastily abandoned but scrupulously clean whitewashed walls a red-tiled floor the iron hearth the painted dresser decorated with white crockery shiny tin pans hung in rows against the walls and two or three rush chairs napoleon sat down i again entreat you sire began berthier more earnestly than before but the emperor was staring straight out before him with eyes that apparently saw something beyond that rough white wall opposite on which the flickering candlelight threw such weird gargantuan shadows the precious minutes sped on minutes wherein death or capture strode with giant steps across the fields of flanders to this lonely cottage where the once mightiest ruler in europe sat dreaming of what might have been the silence of the night was broken by the thunder of flying horses hoofs by the cries of save caput and distant volleys of artillery proclaiming from far away that death had not finished all his work yet bertrand and berthier stood by with heads uncovered silent moody and anxious suddenly the dreamer roused himself for a moment and spoke abruptly and with his usual peremptory impatience de marmont he said has either of you seen him not lately sire replied colonel bertrand not since five o'clock at any rate what was he doing then he was riding furiously in the direction of nivelles i shouted to him he told me that he was making for brussels by a circuitous way ah that is right well done my brave de marmont braver than your treacherous kinsman ever was so you saw him did you bertrand did he tell you that he had just come from Gannap? yes sire he did replied bertrand moodily he told me that by your orders he had sent a messenger from there to paris with news of your victory and that by to-morrow morning the capital would be ringing with enthusiasm and with cheers and by the time de marmont came back from Gannap, interposed the prince of wagram with a sneer the plains of waterloo were ringing with the grand army's save que put an episode prince only an episode said napoleon with an angry frown of impatience to hear you now one would imagine that essling had never been we have been beaten back of course but for the moment the world does not know that paris to-morrow will be beflagged and the bells of notre dame will send forth their joyous peals to cheer the hearts of my people and in brussels this afternoon thousands of our enemies belgians dutch hanoverians brunswickers were rushing helter-skelter into the town demoralized 
and disorganized after that brilliant charge of our cuirassiers against the allied left would to god the british had been among them too murmured old colonel bertrand but for their stand and a splendid stand it was ah but for that to think that if grouchy had kept the prussians away in only another hour we the dreamer paused in his dream of the might have been then he continued more calmly but i was not thinking of that just now i was thinking of those who fled to brussels this afternoon with the news of our victory and of wellington's defeat even then the truth is known in brussels by now protested berthier yes but not before de marmont has had the time and the pluck to save us and our empire berthier he continued more vehemently don't stand there so gloomy man and you too my old bertrand surely surely you have realized that at this terrible juncture we must utilize every circumstance which is in our favor that early news of our victory we can make use of that a big throw in this mighty game but we can do it berthier do you see how we can do it no sire i confess that i do not replied the marshal gloomily you do not see retorted the emperor with a frown of angry impatience de marmont did at once but he is young and enthusiastic whereas you but don't you see that the news of wellington's defeat must have enormous consequences on the money markets of the world if only for a few hours it must send the prices on the foreign bourses tumbling about people's ears and create an absolute panic on the london stock exchange only for a few hours of course but do you not see that if any man is wise enough to buy stock in london during that panic he can make a fortune by reselling the moment the truth is known even then sire stammered berthier a little confused by this avalanche of seemingly irrelevant facts hurled at him at a moment when the whole map of europe was being changed by destiny and her future trembled in the hands of god ah de marmont saw it all at once continued the emperor earnestly he saw eye to eye with me he knows that money a great deal of money is just what i want now money to reorganize my army to re-equip and reform it the chamber and my ministers will never give me what i want my god they are such cowards and some of them would rather see the foreign troops again in paris than napoleon emperor at the tuileries you should know that marshal and you too my good bertrand de marmont knows it that is why he rode to brussels at the hour when i alone knew that all was lost at waterloo but when half europe still thought that the corsican ogre had conquered again de marmont is in brussels now to-night he crosses over to england to-morrow morning he and his broker will be in the stock exchange in london 
calm silent watchful an operation on the bourse what like hundreds that have been done before but in this case the object will be to turn one million into fifty so that with it i might rebuild my empire again he spoke with absolute conviction and with indomitable fervour sitting here quietly he the architect of the mightiest empire of modern days just as he used to do in the camps at austerlitz and jena and wagram and friedland with one clenched hand resting upon the rough deal table the flickering light of the tallow candle illuminating the wide brow the heavy jaw those piercing eyes that still gazed in this hour of supreme catastrophe into a glorious future destined never to be scheming planning scheming still even while his grand army was melting into nothingness all around him and distant volleys of musketry were busy consummating the final annihilation of the empire which he had created and still hoped to rebuild berthier gave a quick sign of impatience rebuild an empire ye gods an empire when the flower of its manhood lies pale and stark like the windrows of corn after the harvester has done his work thoughts of a dreamer schemes of a visionary how will the quaking lips which throughout the length and breadth of this vast hecatomb now cry save qui put how will they ever intone again the old viva la empereur the conqueror of wagram gave a bitter sigh and faithful bertrand hung his head gloomily but de marmont had neither sighed nor doubted but then de marmont was young he too was a dreamer and an enthusiast and a visionary his idol in his eyes had never had feet of clay for him the stricken man was his emperor still the architect the creator the invincible conqueror checked for a moment in his glorious work but able at his will to rebuild the empire of france again on the very ruins that smouldered now on the fields of waterloo i can do it sire he had cried exultantly when his emperor first expounded his great new scheme to him i can be in brussels in an hour and catch the midnight packet for england at ostend at dawn i shall be in london and by ten o'clock at my post i know a financier a jew and a mightily clever one he will operate for me i have a million or two francs invested in england we'll use these for our operations money sire you shall have millions our differences on the stock exchange will equip the finest army that even you have ever had fifty millions i'll bring you a hundred god has not yet decreed the downfall of the empire of france so de marmont had spoken this afternoon in the enthusiasm of his youth and of his hero worship and since then the great dreamer had continued to weave his dreams 
nothing was lost nothing could be lost whilst enthusiasm such as that survived in the hearts of the young and still wrapped in his dream he sat on while danger and death and disgrace threatened him on every side berthier and bertrand entreated in vain in vain tried to drag him away from this solitary place where any moment a party of prussians might find and capture him unceremoniously the prince of wagram had blown out the flickering light that might have attracted the attention of the pursuers it was a very elementary precaution the only one he or bertrand was able to take the horses were out in the yard for any one to see and the greatest spoil of victory might at any moment fall into the hands of the meanest prussian soldier out for loot but the dreamers still sat on in the gloom with the pale light of the moon streaming in through the narrow casement window and illumining that marble-like face rigid and set that seemed only to live by the glowing eyes the eyes that looked into the future and the past and heeded not the awful present close on a quarter of an hour went by until at last he jumped to his feet with the sudden cry of to Ganap. berthier heaved a sigh of relief and bertrand hurried out to unfasten the horses you are impatient prince said the emperor almost gaily as he strode with a firm step to the door you are afraid those cursed prussians will put the corsican ogre into a cage and send him at once to his victorious bourbon majesty king louis the eighteenth not so my good berthier not so the star of my destiny has not yet declined i've done all the thinking i wanted to do now we'll to Ganap, where we'll rally the remnants of our army and then quietly await de marmont's return with the millions which we want after that we'll boldly on to paris and defy my enemies there an avant marshal the corsican ogre is not in the iron cage yet outside bertrand was holding his stirrup for him he swung himself lightly in the saddle and turned out of the farmyard gate into the open throwing back his head and sniffing the storm-laden air as if he was about to lead his army to one of his victorious charges not waiting to see how close the other two men followed him he put his horse at once at a gallop he rode on never pausing never looking round even on that gigantic desolation which the cold light of the moon weirdly and fitfully revealed his mind was fixed upon a fresh throw on the gaming table of the world overhead the storm-driven clouds chased one another with unflagging fury across the moonlit sky now obscuring now revealing that gigantic dissolution of the grand army so like the melting of ice and frost under the fierce kiss of the sun more than men in an attack 
less than women in a retreat the finest cavalry europe had ever seen was flying like sand before the wind but the somnambulist rode on in his sleep forgetting that on these vast and billowing fields twenty-six thousand gallant french heroes had died for the sake of his dreams bertrand and the prince of wagram followed gloomy and silent they knew that all suggestions would be useless all saner advice remain unheeded besides de marmont had gone and after all what did it all matter what did anything matter now that empire glory hope everything were irretrievably lost and in faithful bertrand's deep-set eyes there came a strange far-off look almost of premonition as if in his mind he could already see that lonely island rock in the atlantic and the great gambler there eating out his heart with vain and bitter regrets but de marmont had never had any doubts never any forebodings he only had boundless faith in his hero and boundless enthusiasm for his cause accustomed to handle money since early manhood owner of a vast fortune which he had administered himself with no mean skill he had no doubt that the emperor's scheme for manufacturing a few millions in a wild gamble on the stock exchange was not only feasible but certain of success undoubtedly the false news of wellington's defeat would reach london to-morrow as it had already reached paris and brussels the panic in the money market was a foregone conclusion the quick rise in prices when the truth became known was equally certain it only meant forestalling the arrival of wellington's dispatches in london by four-and-twenty hours and one million would make fifty during that time as de marmont had told his emperor he had several hundred thousand pounds invested in england on which he could lay his hands operations on the bourse were nothing new to him and already while he was still listening with respect and enthusiasm to his emperor's instructions he was longing to get away he knew the country well between here and brussels and he was wildly longing to be at work to be flying across the low-lying land on to brussels and then across to england in the wake of the awful news of complete disaster he would steal the uniform of some poor dead wretch a belgium or a hanoverian or a black brunswicker he didn't care which it wouldn't take long to strip the dead and the greatness of the work at stake would justify the sacrilege in the uniform of one of the allied army he could safely continue his journey to brussels and with luck could reach the city long before sunset in brussels he would at once obtain civilian clothes and then catch the evening packet for england at ostend oh no it was not likely that wellington could send a messenger over to london quite so soon at this hour it was just past five he was still on mont st jean 
making another desperate stand against the imperial cavalry with troops half worn out with discouragement and whose endurance must even now be giving way at this hour the prussians had appeared at brain la alude they had engaged real at plancenoy but wellington and the british had still to hold their ground or the news which de marmont intended to accompany to london might prove true after all ye gods if only that were possible how gladly would victor then have lost the hundred thousands which he meant to risk to-morrow wellington really vanquished before blucher could come to his rescue napoleon once more victorious as he had always been and a mightier monarch than before then he victor de marmont the faithful young enthusiast who had never ceased to believe when others wavered who at this last hour when the whole world seemed to crumble away from under the feet of the man who had once been its master was still ready to serve his emperor never doubting always hoping he would reap such a reward as must at last dazzle the one woman who could make that reward for him doubly precious victor de marmont had effected the gruesome exchange he was now dressed in the black uniform of a brunswick regiment wherein so many french royalists were serving by a wide detour he had reached the approach to brussels indeed it seemed as if the news which he had sent flying to paris was true after all behind the forest of saunier where he now was the fields and roads were full of running men and galloping horses the dull green of belgian uniforms the yellow facings of the dutch the black of brunswickers all mingled together in a moving kaleidoscopic mass of colour the men were flying unpursued yet panic-stricken towards brussels carrying tidings of an awful disaster to the allied armies in their haggard faces their quivering lips their blood-stained tunics de marmont joined in with them though his heart was full of hope he too contrived to look pale and spent and panic-stricken at will he heard the shouts of terror the hastily murmured all is lost even the british can no longer stand as horses maddened with fright bore their half-senseless riders by he set his teeth and rode on his dark eyes glowed with satisfaction there was no fear that the great gambler would stake his last in vain the news would travel quick enough as news of disaster always will brussels even now must be full of weeping women and children as it soon would be of terror-driven men of wounded and of maimed crawling into the shelter of the town to die in peace as he rode de marmont thought more and more of crystal the last three months had only enhanced his passionate love for her and his maddening desire to win her yet at all costs st genis would of course be fighting to-day perchance a convenient shot 
would put him effectively out of the way de marmont had vainly tried in this wild gallopade to distinguish his rival's face among this mass of foreigners as for the englishman well no doubt he had disappeared long ago out of crystal de cambray's life de marmont had never feared him greatly that one look of understanding between crystal and clifford and the latter's strange conduct about the money at the inn were alone responsible for the few twinges of jealousy which de marmont had experienced in that quarter indeed the englishman was a negligible quantity de marmont did not fear him there was only st genis and with the royalist cause rendered absolutely hopeless as it would be as it must be st genis and the comte de cambray and all those stiff-necked aristocrats of the old regime who had thought fit to turn their proud backs on him at brestelow three months ago would be irretrievably ruined and discredited and would have to fly the country once more and crystal faced with the alternative of penury in england or a brilliant existence at the tuileries as the wife of the emperor's most faithful friend would make her choice as he de marmont never doubted that any woman would hope for him had already become reality brussels was the half-way halt to the uttermost heights of his ambition fortune the emperor's gratitude the woman he loved all waited for him there he reached the city just as that distant horizon in the west was lit up by a streak of brilliant crimson from the fast-sinking sun just when had he but known it on the crest of mont st john wellington had waved his hat over his head and given the heroic british army exhausted but undaunted the order for a general charge just when the grand army finally checked in its advance had first set up the ominous call that was like the passing bell of its dying glory save que put save que put bobby clifford heard the cry too through the fast gathering shadows of unconsciousness that closed in round his wearied senses and as a film that was so like the kindly veil of approaching death spread over his eyes he raised them up just once to that vivid crimson glow far out in the west and on the winged chariot of the setting sun he sent up his last sigh of gratitude to god all day he had called for death all day he had wooed her there where bullets and grape-shot were thickest where her huge scythe had been most busily at work sons of fond mothers husbands sweethearts that were dearly loved brothers that would be endlessly mourned lives that were more precious than any earthly treasures the ghostly harvester claimed them all with impartial cruelty and he desolate and lonely 
with no one greatly to care if he came back or no with not a single golden thread of hope to which he might cling without a dream to brighten the coming days of dreariness with a life in the future that could hold nothing but vain regrets bobby had sought death twenty times to-day and death had resolutely passed him by but now he was grateful for that he was thankful that he had lived just long enough to see the sunset just long enough to take part in that last glorious charge in obedience to wellington's inspiring command up guards and at them he was glad to have lived just long enough to hear the save caput to know that the grand army was in full retreat that blucher had come up in time that british pluck and british endurance had won the greatest victory of all times for britain's flag and her national existence now with a rough bandage hastily tied round his head where grape-shot had lacerated cheek and ear with a bayonet thrust in the thigh and another in the arm bobby had remained lying there with many thousands round him as silent as uncomplaining as he in the downtrodden corn and with the tramp of thousands of galloping fleeing horses the clash of steel and fusillade of tirailleurs and artillery reaching his dimmed senses like a distant echo from the land of ghosts and before his eyes half veiled in unconsciousness there flitted the tender delicate vision of crystal de cambray of her blue eyes and soft fair hair done up in a quaint mass of tiny curls of the scarf of filmy lace which she always liked to wrap round her shoulders and through the lace the pearly sheen of her skin of her arms and of her throat the air around him had become pure and rarefied that horrible stench of powder and smoke and blood no longer struck his nostrils it was roses roses all around him crimson roses sweet and caressing and fragrant with soft velvety petals that brushed against his cheek and from somewhere close by came a dreamy melody the half-sad half-gay lilt of an intoxicating dance it was delicious and bobby wearied sore and aching in body felt his soul lifted to some exquisite heights which were not yet heaven of course but which must of a truth form the very threshold of paradise he saw crystal more and more clearly every moment now he was looking straight into her blue eyes and her little hand cool and white as snow rested upon his burning forehead she smiled on him as on a friend there was no contempt no harshness in her look only a great consoling pity and something that seemed like an appeal yes the longer he himself looked into those blue eyes of hers the more sure he was that there was an appeal in them it almost seemed as if she needed him 
in a way that she had never needed him before apparently she could not speak she could not tell him what it was she wanted but her little hands seemed to draw him up out of the trodden trampled corn and having soothed his aches and pains they seemed to impel him to do something that was important and imperative something that she wanted done he begged her to let him lie here in peace for he was now comforted and happy he was quite sure now that he was dead that her sweet face had been the last tangible vision which he had seen on earth ere he closed his eyes in the long last sleep he had seen her and she had gone all of a sudden she had vanished and darkness was closing in around him the scent of roses faded into the air which was now filled again with horrid sounds the deafening roar of cannon the sharp and incessant retort of rifle fire the awesome melee of cries and groans and bugle calls and sighs of agony and one deafening cry so like the last wail of departing souls which came from somewhere not very far away viva la emperor bobby raised himself to a sitting posture his head ached terribly he was stiff in every limb a burning almost intolerable pain gnawed at his thigh and at his left arm but consciousness had returned and with it all the knowledge of what this day had meant all round him there was the broken corn stained with blood and mud all round him lay the dead and the dying in their thousands far away in the west a crimson glow like fire lit up this vast hecatomb of brave lives sacrificed this final agony of the vast empire the might and grandeur of one man laid low this day by the mightier hand of god it lit up with the weird light of the dying day the pallid clean-shaven faces of gallant british boys the rugged faces of the scot the olive skin of the child of provence the bronzed cheeks of old veterans it threw its lurid glow on red coats and black coats white facings and gilt epaulettes it drew sparks as of still living fire from breastplates and broken swords discarded casques and bayonets sabretages and kilts and bugles and drums and dead horses and arms and accoutrements and dead and dying men all lying pell-mell in a huge litter with the glow of midsummer sunset upon them poor little chessmen pawns and knights castles of strength and kings of some lonely morning hearts all swept together by the almighty hand of the great master of this terrestrial game but with returning consciousness bobby's gaze took in a wider range of vision he visualized exactly where he was on the south slope of mont st jean with la haye saint on ahead a little to his left and the whitewashed walls of la belle alliance still further away 
gleaming golden in the light of the setting sun he saw that on the wide road which leads to Ganap and charleroy the once invincible cavalry of the mighty emperor was fleeing helter-skelter from the scene of its disaster he saw that the british what was left of them were in hot pursuit he saw from far Plonsonoy, the scintillating casks of blucher's prussians and on the left a detachment of allied troops dutch belgian brunswickers had just started down the slope of the plateau to join in this death-dealing pell-mell where amongst the litter of dead and dying in the confusion of pursuer and pursued comrade fought at times against comrade brother fired on brother prussian against british End of chapter 10 part 1